Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. I'm Dr. David Fowler, and my guest today is Dr. Mike Labounty. This is an episode that you're going to want to be ready to take notes. Dr. Labounty works in Des Moines, Iowa. He's worked extensively with GMI, but he's now teaching his own program, which we'll tell you more about at the end of this episode. In particular, he's done extensive work with the sacrum, and that's what we're going to be talking to him about today. I promise you today's episode will have you thinking about the sacrum in ways you've never thought about it before. So without any further ado, Dr. Mike Labounty. Hello, Dr. Labounty. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Fowler. Appreciate being on. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about how you got to be a chiropractor and more specifically how you became a Gonstead chiropractor? Yeah, you bet. So I graduated in 2006, October, but it was really that late summer um, I'd planned to open up. So I'm one of the strange birds that I was actually building my office out while I was still in school three hours away. Um, hmm. And had uh, had had already getting new patients on the books three months before I opened. But here's the problem: like I was thinking, I'd do full spine technique and upper cervical mix. Uh, I love side. I loved uh, side. I loved toggle recoil side posture position. And I had my mom uh, had an ankle injury. Um, I sent her. I got a referral from Dr. Burns to Dr. Roger Casabrow in Des Moines um, for, for her feet. I think an ankle problem or foot problem or something. And anyways, my mom was like, you've got to come shadow him. You got to come shadow him. So I did after a few like, hmm, mom, I don't know. I did go. And uh, I was so set on what I was going to do. Like they were literally getting ready to build out the individual rooms because I was going to do small rooms. And um, Dr. Roger Kasperbauer looked at my plans. He's like, you got your plans. I was like, yeah, but I'm, you know, here, I just met him. He's like, you have your plans. You're going to be building out. I need to see these. And he basically told me to scratch it and start over. Um, so I put a halt on the build out. Uh, I put a halt on what I was doing and I really feel God just started leading me on a new journey. I started going to meetings regularly with the constant doctors. Um, so here I am in uh, 10th trimester. Uh, just starting 10th trimester and I'm going to my first GMI seminar and that's, you know, led through now 15 years of GMI seminars uh, and teaching and, and that type of thing. And it's just been a blessing to have a group that uh, embodies really what I consider um, one of the most important aspects of health and nervous system. And I'd say the most important, but yeah, you know, I think, I think God would just say, you know, his creation is the most important. So I, I, I just love the nervous system. I love chiropractic, but I love the specificity that I learned with the GMI group. And so I rerouted my office and went to, uh, changing rooms and that, uh, that form. And, and then, uh, had really built a really nice practice and then moved here a few years ago to a larger facility. And we have a few docs in the office now and a full team and just been, we've added some nutritional uh, practitioners to help facilitate healing in different levels on that. And just been really fun. Um, just a really fun office. We love it. So that's where I'm at now and, um, continue to do Gonstead. Uh, I, I would say I have a little, some unique aspects to what I do. Um, but that's kind of what led me down the sacral journey. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So 
we're going to talk about the sacrum today. So let's kind of just, I guess, dive into that. We were talking ahead of time about the fact that we probably, with Gonsta technique, do more with the sacrum than most techniques, and especially when it comes to individual segments. So let's just cover the all the whole gamut of it. So I'll let you go ahead and start um, with however you want to start talking about the sacrum and and how sure. we think how we should yeah. address it as as its own unit. Well, to, to be honest, and I'm going to preface this by saying I am learning daily on the sacrum. Um, I am fascinated by the bone and, uh, people that would come shadow me might think that's all I just, but I, there's days all I find is thoracic, you know, or a pelvic problem, you know, mostly pelvic thoracic or whatever. It just depends. Every case is so different, but what I have found is the sacrum is often missed because we're not scoping it. And so I was four years in practice. Well, let me back up. I was starting my second year in practice and my whole right leg just started going completely numb. Um, I couldn't stand well. I went through pretty serious. I, I couldn't really sit or stand well, which made it hard to do anything. So the beauty part, beautiful part about being a chiropractor is you get to move around. So that was my biggest thing. I, I, I was doing side posture and consistently my leg was getting worse. It was getting so bad. I was like, do I quit? What do I do? Um, sent some videos to doc say, Hey, can you critique it? They're like, you're doing it well. Like, it's just, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. So I, I moved to, um, the knee chest table and I moved to the high low table and I started doing knee chest and high low predominantly, um, and living in my side posture in the process. I'm like, well, if I can't, and I couldn't adjust hard, I was, had to go very light. I mean, I was, my back was so ginger. I really, I don't think people really knew that. Um, unless they knew my difference in force before, but like new patients wouldn't have known that. But I was like, if I'm going to, if people are going to get well and stay in this clinic, it's going to have to be because of results. It has to, it, it, you know, you have to get results in a way. And it's, cause I'm, I'm like, I'm just trying to survive health wise, let alone take care of my family and kids and wife and everything. So, um, I started to get very specific with, my adjustments. And what I mean by needing to get really good results is I wasn't moving bones to where you could hear them move. So patients are going to have to be like, what do you do? But no, they were better. So I was in this very interesting, a couple year period. And through that time, I started to do things. I'm like, well, I might as well get better at scoping. So I got, I'm very good at scoping. It's probably my, my strength, honestly, is scoping. And, um, and I'm scoping, I'm like, I need to just, let me just keep scoping the sacrum. And I kept finding puddles of swelling and breaks, instrument breaks and uh, patterns that were like, that's always on the left side. Why is that always on the left side? At, at, you know, I didn't call it S4, but just a low left sacrum. Why is it always there? And, and then I started laying people on the high-low table and palpating their sacrum. I'm like, wait a minute, this, this. This S1 is right in the center, but S2 is over to the right. S3 is over to the left. S4 is in the center. S5 feels down low on the left. How can you have all those things? Yeah. And so then I started to scope them and start to motion some. I didn't do a lot of motion. I was more like scoping and more, pal more static palpation prone. And the reason was, is I had a chair at the time that was flat and you can't palpate the sacrum while seated. Now I have a chair that's angled down at, I don't know, 15 degrees. And let me tell you, you can palpate the sacrum perfectly. You can palp. I was palpating mm -hmm. two coccyx injuries this week, um, seated with them on the back of the chair. It was just beautiful. I'm like you don't miss anything down low palpating. It's great. But then I wasn't sure how to palpate that and uh, the chair wasn't right. So I did a lot of palpating prone and 
just was on a journey, you know, and, and I started getting results and results and results and results. And I started seeing a lot of tough low back cases get better. Um, so that was kind of my journey through that. And it just led me to more and more specific, more and more understanding. Um, and now when I palpate the sacrum, I can clearly feel individual segments move. Um, I am not the, uh, the, the, the master of the sacrum, so to speak. I mean, God is the master. He's the creator of all, but I sure know when a bone moves under my finger, I sure know when the bone's not moving the right way. And I sure know when there's swelling, there shouldn't be. And I sure know when there's an instrumentation reading. And then the hardest part for me is I love, love, love x-rays, but x-rays aren't as easy on the sacrum as the palpation. So if you aren't scoping and you aren't palpating, you're going to miss some of the x-rays. Now there's some really interesting things you find on the x-rays and helpful things, but it's not as easy as seeing a posterior L5 disc or a, a, a thin T6 disc in the front, um, or a compression fracture at T8, or a posterior inferior C7. Like, those are really easy to see, and we're trained on that. The sacrum isn't that way because the spacers are so narrow. Uh, so you really have to rely on palpation. And so what I've noticed is the docs, doctors that are really like to palpate are really getting good results. I just had a chiropractor in shadowing me from North Carolina this morning. And, uh, she's like, you have no idea how many results I've gotten from, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you. And it was just like, wow, that's just neat to know. And she's a palpator. I had her palpate one of my patients with me and she found the same problem. And so, um, the left S3, you know, and it went back to birth on a 28 year old uh, man. And that we were able to track back through, through the x-rays. Cause you could see how the sacrum didn't form correctly. Uh, it grew more on the right side. The left side was restricted. It caused left foot drop, uh, arch drop, I should say, um, weak knee, you know, just, just that other thing. So I have just, I'm just continuing to learn, um, have drafted in, you know, literature on the sacrum and, and reworked, uh, you know, PowerPoints and things like that to teach on it, but it's a constant learning, but the key of keys is to have the right chair to palpate the sacrum and to take your time. Because if you don't do that, you're going to miss them. And I'm telling you, the other thing is scoping is different down there because there's puddles of swelling. So you have to, you have to actually make sure you get the skin pulled tight, uh, to scope that area. And, um, so that's what I think if I could just, I mean, I'm just going to jump out right away and just say, if I encourage I encourage the listening audience it's to get a chair angled and start scoping and palpating low and just see what happens. I'll never forget. I was teaching a seminar in Minnesota and there's a doc that about 40, 45 years in practice. He sat through, bless his heart. He sat through an eight hour seminar and I found at the end, he's like, I didn't even want to be there. And then it's like, and he goes, but once I started palpating the sacrum, well, I, let me back up. He started. So he, let me, let me back. So eight hours seminar, people are afterwards asking questions, after questions about a half hour after the seminar is over, he's still in the room and he pops over and he's like, I just have to tell you, I was palpating how you showed us to palpate. And I feel what you're talking about and it will change my practice going back tomorrow. And he's, hmm. you know, this guy's practice with, uh, I mean, he, he, he learned under, uh, Dr. Troxel and, um, I mean, I think actually he trained with Dr. A little bit with Dr. Gonstead 
Is this what Ben? Yeah. I, I have to, I don't know my, my facts on that exactly, but he's been around the constant group a long, long time. And he was like, wait a minute. And that's the, that's the reality is you really do have to know how to palpate this thing and take your time. And static palpation isn't enough. It needs to be motion palpation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have a, here's a question or a scenario for you that I found this early in practice and was baffled by. I didn't know what to do, but let's say you get um, an EX ilium. Um, we'll just say that on the right. So you've got an EX ilium on the right and it's so EX, but then you notice that the S2 is PR, right. but the rest of the sacrum is not. That's something that like, I wanted to bring it up because we never talk about that. And yet that's a very real scenario. Yeah, and you're saying just the S2 is turned to the right, but the other ones are not, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So in that situation, it might be just the way the EX got turned that pulled S2, or it could be S2 pulling pushing the EX out. And so what mm-hmm. I've learned on those is I, I just scope, and I scope the scope straight down, then I scope the SI joint, and then I just to confirm, I palpate both joints, and you can feel which one's not moving. Cause you don't want to just rule out one or the other really. Cause it, it, they go together, like they literally can. So mm-hmm. you can have on an EX side, you can have a right sacrum all day long. It's just, you're never going to set that right sacrum towards the EX ilium. You're going to set the right sacrum wherever you find it straight in or towards the midline. And I'm a x-ray uh, fanatic. So we take x-rays every six months on spines, um, pretty much on everybody. We, I mean, some people it's, it's hard to get that done, but that's, that's our practice protocol. And if you're, if we're seeing a pelvic listing, not improve, or, you know, based on if we're adjusting sacrum or sacrum adjust, uh, pelvic adjustments affecting the sacrum, they all should work together. It is just a giant puzzle down there, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, and then you can also have like like what I said, where the S two is is in a PR position, but the rest is not. And if you've got to set that PR sacrum, you realize that if I push the whole sacrum forward, all I'm doing is twisting the sacrum to set the S two back in place, but keep the other segments where they yeah. are is no small feat. <laughs> it's it's not, and that's where I've used a lot of thumb contacts. Sacrums aren't hard adjustments. You know, and a lot of them, you just mm-hmm. actually can, you hold them and you just start feeling the move. Uh, I've started doing that more with Atlas and Occiput where I, I don't actually set it hard. I just get the right contact and you just feel that thing just, just goes right into place. Um, I mean, there's a, there's definitely a movement with a vector in your arm and all that, but it's not a, it really comes down to the right specificity, but yeah, you'll see a lot, a lot of stable. sacrums that you just need to just be individually setting them. And that is where the palpation comes in, because if it is the whole sacrum, you're going to feel puddling over that whole sacrum and you will not find that puddling in the middle of the sacrum. You'll find it towards the ilium. So if you are setting it like, right. oh, I'm setting a rotated sacrum. Sure. You're going to have swelling across that whole SI, SI joint. However, <laughs> this is where I'm like, they're like, oh, just set the rotate. Yep. But that's actually out of all my sacral work. That's probably... The least adjusted thing I do on sacrum is a classic rotated sacrum. I will do something like right S3 set to ilium. 
right S3, set straight in, right S3, set to midline. You know, it's very specific with even angles like counterclockwise torque, clockwise torque. Um, and you find that with mm-hmm. palpation. But the classic, the standard of it's a P-R sacrum, I'm telling you, it might not be like the cool thing out there, but it's coming because it's working and it's a real thing. The sacrum does subluxate individually. It just happens when you're young. Yeah. Yeah. And you find some of these things just linger and linger and linger. Yeah. Like this 28 year old I had today, it's classic. Like you can see spina bifida on him at S1, but you can see how his sacrum's turned S1, S2, S3, and then S4 and S5 go a totally different direction. You're like, wait a minute. But you can see where the originality of it all started. And then the rest of the sacrum just kind of bent around that problem to create stability, really. They had a, a small spina bifida at S1. And then S2 was turned a different way than S3. And then S4 and S5 dropped down on the right side. And the sacral ala was larger. So you can see all these all these changes from just a developmental. So that was probably in womb. you know. And so I'm like, wow, that was an interesting one today. And the walk showed left sacrum, the lateral bending x-ray showed left sacrum and um you know everything's so pointed out but these aren't as easy like if i were to just say oh that was really easy that was it wasn't it was took some time to figure out and i think that's one reason why sometimes i'm like why i wish i was the l5 person you know all the time but l5 is such a powerful adjustment but i'm like what i mean by that is a sacrum learning the sacrum has been a, a task to say the least and it's a it's a consistent thing and i i, I want more you know, I just continuously want feedback and thoughts and I want to help grow this thing to the next level. And I know our team at the office, we're all really honed in on learning it, but boy, that doesn't limit what else we just, it just makes us really make sure we're, t- we're taking care of, of looking at that sacrum and, and just Dr. Fowler, just if I, if I could, uh, one thing that I would share is probably the reason I've seen the sacrum change so many storylines is if it does nothing else for the health of the person, but provides st- support and stability to be able to adjust other segments. I have seen that over and over again. I am an active testimony. I had my sacrum adjusted for years and years. Well, let me back up. I had L5 adjusted for quite a while. I got worse and worse and worse, but my L5 was really pinched posterior inferior. And nobody would say that could be, that has to be a sacrum. They'd be like, that's an EX ilium. So I had doctors find EX ilims I didn't even have, you know, they'd go from one side and then they're like, Oh, it must be on the right side. Uh, and it, yep. I never got better. And it wasn't until they went down to like an S five that it started taking the pressure off of L five, but it's taken me no kidding here, like years, probably seven or eight years to where there it's ready to start adjusting lumbars and getting them to hold. I had one of my first ones in a while last night and I'm like, Oh, because otherwise it actually irritates my back like dramatically if I get a lumbar adjusted negatively. Um, so I just see such a foundational principle in your, in the sacrum and it's not for everybody. Some people, the sacrum never was injured. Look, I, I fell a bunch. I know I fell a bunch. I also had, um, 
other health issues, just, just weakness in my legs and stuff growing up and some other things going on. And so I know like my sacrum was an issue early on. And of course, everything I got adjusted all the way through chiropractic school and before school, cause I was going to chiropractor was my lumbars and my pelvis. Nobody touched my sacrum. My health got worse and worse and worse. I think that's what broke it down my second year in practice to where I couldn't even walk and mm. move, basically move. I couldn't hold my first two kids. I couldn't hold them. Like I, it, it was that much work to hold. I, all I could do is basically work, rest between patients, come home and just rest all weekend for the next week. But as that sacrum's gotten stronger, I'm like, man, now I can get my lumbar. So it's made a way for our patients to hold adjustments and, and get to some of the other issues going on. Yeah, I started thinking about that a lot, probably somewhere around five, six, seven years in practice, because same kind of thing. It was like you have these patients with low with lumbar problems. You adjust it. You know you adjusted it well, but there's instability. It doesn't stay. And you're like, okay, so Gonston had the level disc concept and the foundation concept. So I know it must be a bad foundation. So is it a leg length difference? Well, no, it's not that. And so I kept hunting and eventually it came down to it's got to be the sacrum. And then just one day I had the epiphany of, well, what if it's the individual segments? So like you were saying, started palpating with more specificity and went, wow, I'm finding some really weird, funky stuff yeah, going on here. Yeah. And that was kind of what led me to start adjusting individual segments. And it was even kind of a taboo, like I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to tell anybody I do it because yeah, yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I don't want anybody getting it, but I'm going to do it anyway because it seems to work. Oh, man, I can tell you, I, I, sometimes I'm like, I wonder if any of the Gonset people even uh, like me right now. And I don't mean that in a ne- like, totally negative because you know what I mean? Sometimes you're like, oh, I'm doing something that seems not, but I know Dr. Gonstead would be, would have been palpating these things. Um, and I also know yeah. that he was starting so many new things that who knows what he didn't even get a chance to get to. I can only imagine if he was alive today, we would be adjusting joints probably uh, even different. Like, I think, I just think there'd be some things you'd be like, what, what about this? What about this? What about this? And I never got a chance to meet him. Yeah. But, um, but I do know, I do know that with the scope and with palpation with my hands, that's been my saving grace to be able to guide me on some of the darn toughest patients, you know, but it's yeah. saving people from low back surgeries. And that I've got one right now who golly, they're, they did one surgery. They want to do another. Then the doctor's like, I don't think we can. His walk is horrible. He's 44 years old. And he literally antalgic lean both directions when he walks. It was hmm. his sacrum that I did first three visits in a row. Boom, boom, boom. And now I was on L5. Now L5 is already starting to hold. I'm already on L4. And it's classic. Now this guy, he's not walking great yet, but he's smiling he's chatting he's he's talking about picking up a career again and music mm. you know and here he was uh he was on a huge work work comp claim and uh he got off of it and somebody told him to come to our office i'm like i'm so glad he did but if i hadn't started with the sacrum those three visits and it was very specific um it wasn't the same adjustment each time that was the other thing i'm like it was this one and then it was this one it was, mm-hmm. so it was a little different and uh, what I do in office is usually people have a major sacral problem, meaning like once you clear it up, there is one major. And I note that yeah. in their file just so I can remember if I, you know, going back to it down the road because it's not as obvious on x-ray. So then I like to find palpate it. 
just keep that in your in your file. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like you mentioned, kind of briefly. Uh, so, with all the people who are getting. Uh, spinal fusions and things like that, especially when they get low back L5, L4 or L5 to the sacrum. Do you find that a lot of times after doing that, that's they might develop a seg- sacral segment subluxation as kind of a compensation for that? Yeah, fusion? well, or if it was even a little bit of an issue, it becomes a bigger issue. So, right. yeah, I think it just ex- exacerbates yeah. a problem. But I do think the people, so I've had quite a few people that a spinal surgery, they did really well with, not, not like the majority, but that they did really well with. I think that's a typical, like, Hey, they were doing pretty good in their pelvis and sacrum. They needed that thing trimmed. And I'm not saying they couldn't have done chiropractic. I'm just saying like, that was what medically they did and it worked. Uh But the, why is low back surgery the least likely to, to work? It's because they're not taking into account the pelvis and sacrum. They don't look at people's right. walk. They don't even palpate. Yeah. They don't even feel for swelling. They look at one image. We do all of these things. I mean, not to toot our own horns, but we should be paid. I mean, some of these cases, we should be <laughs> paid $1,000 in adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially with all the training and the knowledge that goes into knowing which one to do. And as, as BJ used to say, not just knowing which one to do, but all the ones not to do. Right, right, right. When I'm thinking too, like Dr. Fowler, if I wouldn't charge a $1,000 adjustment, but but if they're charging 50 grand for surgery, what can we do in 50 adjustments? Bam, right. We got it. We could do far more and develop a relationship with the patient which is even, I think, cooler because then they, they know who to trust and who to go to for help for their kids or whatever. Yeah. When, when it comes to the sacrum, do you ever have somebody where in the history alone, like they're explaining stuff through their history and you're thinking to yourself that neurologically that sounds like a sacrum or um, symptomatology sounds like a sacrum so that you're already thinking sacrum even before you've palpated or scoped or anything, but there's certain signs that really make the, in the history, just make you think that's gotta be a sacrum problem. The, the biggest one is when they're both their feet hurt and they're young or Mm. when I watch them stand and they stand, they stand with their feet kind of far apart, which can be a posterior inferior L5 or L4, but typically when Mm. they're young like that, they're, they just are, they're locking in their lumbars just to hold them tight because their sacrum is so weak. Um, both knees hurt. Uh, I had a, uh, I haven't adjusted this boy yet, but he's, I don't know how I actually, I don't do the initial intake, so I haven't met him yet, but I was looking at his x-rays today and I'll, I'll get a chance to meet him next week. But his symptoms are really interesting. Cause I looked at his x-rays. And I was like, right away. I was like, Oh, he's got knee problems. He's got foot problems. And I hadn't looked at his, complaints in both he had both and i was like we're going to take x-rays on both of those because he's got a lumbar problem a pelvic problem and a sacral problem but i can tell his sacral problem was the first and he's got pain in both feet he's got tight calves um and he's got uh tightness uh what do you call it just like uh, not fullness but it was just wasn't pain but it was his knees just weren't I don't remember the word he used, but, um, knee issues. And here he is. I think he's, I think he's like 18 years old, maybe 20. 
I know his dad, but I haven't met, like I said, I haven't met him. And so I know he's younger, but I, I'm just sure that you now his symptoms match that sacrum. And then it's like, wow, he's going to be, a, he's going to be saved of a lot of health problems because he's starting younger, but he's got a rough spine. And the, the thing is young people that have a lot of health issues, they almost always have a sacral problem because if their foundation's off, it throws off everything. And then the other one is people that pop their backs all the time or they're constantly popping. They're never comfortable. Mm-hmm. That if it was just a pelvic problem, like they would just want to pop it one way. These people are popping it both ways. It is yeah. either a straight posterior inferior lumbar disc or it's a, it's a kinked sacrum and they're just not comfortable. I saw somebody in church do it last weekend. She popped it both ways. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, I need to adjust her. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Yeah, and, then, and the same. Oh, go ahead. And then just it just causes so many weird symptoms. Uh, it connects That's to the upper cervical. That was what I was just about to say. Is I was to say some of the symptoms from a sacrum are weird. Like some of the leg symptoms, they're not like typical textbook neurology. They're more like what you were saying—a fullness. Um, it feels like your leg's going to explode. Like it's like it's these weird sensations that you don't really equate to much else but i hear those weird sensations and i start thinking sacrum yeah i mine used to be i was my leg i had wetness in my leg and i went swimming one day to try to rehab my low back you know because i was i was like well that's what i know at least i can swim a little bit i couldn't swim because in the water it was driving me nuts i felt water in my leg while i was in the water inside my leg (laughs) on the right side only and if you look at my x-ray, I've got a right sacral problem. It's pretty classic. But the interesting thing is they would adjust my rotated sacrum. It never helped. It wasn't until they went straight in at S5 right off the spinous uh, or off the tubercle. And so I've seen very consistently that if they have a lumbar problem, whether it's a base posterior, a spondylolisthesis, um, typically it's like uh, that or a medial disc. It's typically one of those. It, or just a swollen L5 disc, and not usually a very posterior inferior L5, because that typically still is either a low sacrum or pelvis, but the swelling of the disc, you're almost always adjusting the sacrum in the center or close to the center, or wherever you're at, you're adjusting it back to the center because your adjustment is impacting L5. In my history, when they did mine towards my ilium, I got worse every single time. And when they do the markup analysis, it didn't show posterior body rotation. It actually, if you look close, it actually shows my spinous is actually turn to the right when it should be body right. Um, so mm. then you've got to think, oh, wait a minute. There's something else to it. So all the chiropractors and good chiropractors adjusting my rotated sacrum. But once they started palpating outside the box... And um, I remember it helped once really well because Dr. Elbert found a, a kind of like a, a, he's like, you got a pus fluid cyst. And I was like, yeah, it hurts when I sit. And he's like, well, let me, let me check that. He palpated, he adjusted right on that sucker at S5. And I tell you, that was a difference maker. My health started soaring after wow. that. But it was towards the midline of the sacrum. I did not, he did not set that thing towards the ilium. That's interesting. I've seen those cysts a couple other times in other places on the spine, and they always make yeah. a scope reading and always cause neurological problems. Yeah. And if they have I it removed, it doesn't matter. You have to adjust it anyway. 
Yeah, for just it. That's right. And yet the cyst itself kind of recreates the subluxation. But yeah. I found that even after they have it removed, then you got to adjust them again <laughs> to yeah. get it right. Yeah, you do. It's so funny. You're like, well, I know I need to adjust it on this scar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like X marks the spot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it is kind of nice, but yeah. Yep. Hmm. So let's talk about, a little bit about neurology of this too. So can, when it comes to the sacrum, do you equate any particular findings with things like uh, nocturnal enuresis or, um, I don't know, I'd say even like um, like autonomically through parasympathetic um, wound healing, um, sleep, um, any of those kind of things? Do you, do, you, do you equate those kind of things with it as well? The, the biggest, yeah, nocturnal, yeah, that's the, the, the bedwetting has been huge. Um, but I would say the biggest change you get on it is, is people are tired and the, the description I just started telling people, it's going to be like, and I get to know your patients, but you're like, you're super relaxed. Or I say like, you've just had a, a glass or two or three of wine. So I tell them that so they know, go home, you know, go home. Don't sit, rest, lay, stand, walk around, but just, just, just be trying to sit too much. Um, but yeah, that's the biggest, they just, their whole bodies is like a reset. And once that reset happens, their other adjustments just take hold deeper. I had one this week where she came in this morning and she's like, I was so tired. You told me I'd be tired. I mean, I was like feeling good. She said, <laughs> and, um, you know, what's neat is I was able to just T8 today and I got an awesome set on T8. And I know I, if I adjusted T8 earlier this week, it wouldn't have been the same because sure, her body was prepared for that. And, and I know, um, um, sometimes the sympath, uh, sometimes the sacrum is so, it's so interesting of a bone because it, it really teeters on so many things. So of course you've got the sacral nerves joining the sciatic nerve. Of course you have that and you have it affecting the legs, but you also have it impacting northward and how it relates to the anatomy of your lumbar spine, um, of your pelvis, of your gait. And so now you've got a hip change possibly, which you do get, that's going to affect possibly upper cervical or rotational change that will affect upper cervical. Or um, you don't often get a lean chain. It's not as big of an adjustment for like fixing an intelligent lean. That's still usually a pelvis. It can be, but I don't see that as often. But a lot of like undo, un, just unnervy twists in the back, you start seeing it unwind and people will come back and, and their mid backs already be adjusted and, or, or it takes care of itself. It's kind of fun because it can actually give sympathetic support to your system. Um, but I've noticed myself is when I get it adjusted, it's actually one of the adjustments has helped me. I don't wear glasses anymore. Um, uh, now that's not to say my vision's perfect because I could still use them, but actually I found I do better without them. Um, my eyes feel better and stronger. So that, but the sacrum, when I used to get it adjusted right away, I'd be like, oh, my vision improved. So that was, that was when I knew it was impacting my, my brainstem. Um, it really depends on like my, my case is I've got a lot of torque in my spine. So that's really helped me untorque. Now, 
to throw a little caveat in patients that you should untorque with the sacrum that don't untorque with the sacrum, it tends to be, they have an underlying issue of a toxicity in their body. And that's something that we're finding in our office, um, very commonly. And it, it has to do a lot with, with the metals, but, um, heavy metals, but that that's mm-hmm. one just to watch. Cause if you're like the sacrum should have untwisted that or this, and it didn't, just be, have that kind of the back of your mind. Huh. So when you have that metal connection, do you have any kind of an idea? Do you have anything that you do to try to improve that problem? Or is it just like, we're kind of, we're just going to do what we can do with moving this? Like, is there a supplemental thing you do? Yeah. So it's, and we're still learning it. We have three practitioners helping me with that and, and learning it. And we're not in a hurry at all um, with it. And it's, it's honestly, uh, it needs to be slow, but metal, they get metal out, but it seems to be consistent. I got a patient last night with a huge scoliosis. So I'm going to get tested next week and um, to see what shows up, but it's, it's that they, they don't get better. Those are showing up as, as mercury is the key, um, hmm. the key one. And I don't know how, what it does. I, what I just think it does, I think it just grabs a hold of the, the, the nervous system and keeps things torqued. It really just locks it down. And so if I'm adjusting the same thing over, I don't really like to adjust the same thing over and over. I I always feel like that's not doing the patient. Uh, It's great, but it's like, I'm missing something, right? Because it shouldn't be the same adjustment. So yeah, yeah. yeah, that's just something I found is, is, uh, yeah, I think it'll next five years, I think we'll have a lot more information on that in our office. And probably other people are already seeing some of that too, but, um, yeah, typically the sacrum does a lot of untwisting and that's where it affects so many pieces and you can get the upper cervical help. For example, let me just back up with me. My, uh, my spine's untwisting so slowly (laughs) it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And that's why my vision will get better for a while. And then they'll kind of come back a little bit, but that's where I found like, I'm just better without glasses. But now, like I got, I finally gave my lumbars. I'm like, whoa, now I can start because I'm starting to get stronger foundation. So I'm also doing some metal detox a little bit too. But that I know is just working hand in hand with the adjustments and getting me stronger. Because obviously our nervous system needs to be unimpaired. Yeah. So with, with kids, do you think, I don't know how many, how often you see kids or how young you see, but with the younger kids, do you think, are they less the same or more likely to have it be an individual segment versus being the whole sacrum? So much more likely. Um, they're fun to palpate yeah. and they're very particular. <laughs> I had a doctor in my office this week uh, who works in our office, but I had him help me with a patient. Cause I was like, I'm not sure which level it is. And he, he palpated. He's like, it's S3. I made the adjustment. Oh my word. Did he improve instantly? He got up in his knock knee droopy legs came out of it quite a bit. And, um, hmm. I've been on S4, you know, but it was neat because once I went and found it and he put my finger right on, I was like, Oh, or he showed me. And then I put my finger on it and I was like, that's it. I could feel it. I actually just because they're small, I just skipped over it thinking this is where I found the reading. And even though I teach mm. this stuff, I still, you know, I still <laughs> skip through some steps and it's just a good reminder. Right. I missed that yeah. on, on him and now he's going to be doing great, but it's, 
um, you do really it's big difference because if I adjusted that adult at S4, I think it would have helped his S3, but not this kid. He's like S3, Dr. Mike. <laughs> you know, he's not saying that, but yeah. uh, you could tell how happy he was. And it just, you what you'll feel when you adjust him is you'll feel like a suction in a good way. Um, yeah. It just, there's just this momentum in the body. It's, it almost is like the whole body gets light. It's very interesting when it's a true sacral subluxation, kind of like you yeah. feel with an atlas where you're like, whoa, just stay there for a second. Like that just shifted yeah. your whole body. Um, yeah. It's, when it's an individual segment, it's much more like that because I think it was such a trivial injury. It affected one piece and everything around it's had to work around it. Whereas like a rotated sacrum where it's a whole level, a whole thing, um, I don't know. I just don't think, I don't, I don't know. They don't, um, they, they don't adjust the same way. That's more where you're like a normal, maybe more of a normal adjustment where you might feel hair cavitation or you might feel a bigger movement, but individual segments is more of a suction feeling. And it's, it's interesting. I don't know. Have you told, can you tell the difference in what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, especially on kids. Um, one of the last patients I saw before um, I left and started teaching was um, a girl with nocturnal enuresis, and she didn't want to be there. <laughs> I, she, she was older, so she was embarrassed about that she even had the problem that her parents had even told me. And the first adjustment, yeah, it was like some kind of like reverse vacuum suction in kind of thing. And she was she when I asked her how often she wet the bed in seven days, they said somewhere between five and seven. So that first adjustment, the next week, she only did it three times. Wow. So the next time she came in, eager to come in, because she's like, make those last three go away. We did it one more time and it went away. And months later, she, it had never come back. So yeah. it only took two adjustments to fix it up. But it was an S2 segment. And yeah. it was, um, I could find the S2, but what, what I got on the second one that I think really helped fix it out is on the first one, I was close on my vector. On yes. the second one, I was really able to get the vector like spot on. And yes. as soon as it moved, I got it. And I was like, she's going to get better. Oh, it's such a good feeling. And then I, oh, I love, I just, you just, you just made me want to go back to work again. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Oh. <laughs> you change a life. Yeah, it's so good. So I love that, Dr. Fowler. Thanks for sharing. And there's no telling what things that person might suffer. I mean, she's only 11. Those things in the future she could potentially develop, especially for a girl like that when puberty comes rolling along and 16, 17, 18 hormones are doing their thing. What kind of things could she potentially suddenly find herself in that are not even going to be part of her life? Skin issues seem to be a big deal. I had two sacral problems of teenage boys today. And one of them, actually, I worked on years ago with bedwetting and he got better, quit coming in. But, you know, we take his x-rays, he's still got sacral segments that aren't fusing correctly. But we were able to take, they look better. Um, although he's bigger, you know, it's, so it's definitely a different x-ray. Uh, but those, those are big, big deals. It doesn't mean, by the way, because you see sacral segmentation that doesn't look correct, it doesn't mean you need to adjust it. Because sometimes you'll get a case where something else will help it. Um, and so I just want to make sure people kind of think that through, but it's yeah. Skin, skin seems to be a big deal. Um, a lot of, a lot of knee, knee problems. Um, 
And if they're real, real segmented, they will tend to like this one boy, he kind of walks forward a little bit. So he's got more strain on his tibial tuberosity. So he's got Osgood Schlatters. Actually, I think both boys do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely knee issues. Um, and, and it, sacral issues seem to really impact L5 through L3. And so you just think neurology from that point is, um, is the big ones. And yeah, I know as a kid, I had tons and tons, you know, just, just on that thought too, I had, so I had the sacred, that major rotation I had as a kid and guess what I, I mean, I had acne, crazy acne. I stopped growing. My right leg stopped growing. Um, I should be probably three inches taller. My right leg should be the same height. And, you know, the reality is I wasn't getting that adjust. I was getting my L5 adjusted, you know, and all through my growing years, even I was getting seen a chiropractor pelvis or L5 through like high school, middle school. And then I ended up going to an upper cervical doctor and uh, that's what kind of led me down that journey a little bit, but then back to full spine care again at chiropractic school and or an undergrad in chiropractic school. And the journey was interesting, but now I see my x-rays. So I had rotation and in T9, it kinked the, it kinks the other way. Those are the worst. Those are the hardest cases really, because you have to wait to get that foundation strong until you can get to that T9, whatever area you're at, because a lot of times you got a double kink there and you just jump mm. to T9. It's probably too early, but that's where I think the, the other acne part comes in. And a lot of times is a lot of sacral problems end up kinking. If there's a rotational issue, kinking that mid lower thoracic spine. Yeah. What about, uh, infertility issues? Do you see that that, that it has much effect on both the, uh, I mean, the female side is the side we immediately think about, but what about even the male side? Have, have you had much success with changing infertility with adjusting? Yeah. Sacrums? Yeah. Early, you know, even early in practice, I had a couple patients that got pregnant that uh, weren't able to, and I have a patient today that isn't able to get actually two right now. They're not able to get pregnant and, um, they both have really gnarly sacrums, but also really gnarly lumbars. And, um, yeah, those are the tougher ones because it, there's so much going on there. And, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's, it definitely helps fertility. It definitely helps the, the stability of L5, which is phenomenal. And I had a 39 One. week pregnant patient this week and L5 has been helping her, but today or this week it was the sacrum that really mm. set it deeper and baby dropped down from that much L5 helped though. But that's, that was the big move to get the baby to drop down. Yeah, when you get to end of pregnancy, there's a, a lot of times there's a sacral issue that you got to deal with. And I, I found myself often wishing that I would, I would get patients for the first time during pregnancy at the end of the whole process. And I'd be thinking, man, I wish I could have gotten them before they got pregnant yeah. and fixed up the sacral and made it more receptive to the whole process. But instead, we're going to do like triage at the end and try to do the best we can to make this work. I hear you. I get that. The nice thing about the knee chest table is really cool because if somebody has a sacral problem, they won't be able to let it bend. It just is like it. You can yeah. see you can you can you can't see the individual segments as much, but you can see like a kink in the sacrum. You're like, wait a minute, that's the issue. Hmm. And so then you start working on that, and they they just relax so nicely. Um, 
Yeah. Also, I've seen with sacrum too, like swelling, leg swelling is another common symptom. Yeah. You, do you mean like, like physical swelling, like, uh, like, like edema all the way through yeah. the leg? Like it's mm-hmm. larger yeah. than that one? Especially if it's affecting other areas of the spine. If it's been there a long time, the patients I have to redo the sac- uh, readjust the sacrum on often. It's like, wow, they, they tend to have more edema in their legs and, and that. And, um, it's not, it's not completely out of ordinary to adjust a sacrum and adjust a sympathetic at all. It's just the reoccurring ones tend to be a lot of leg issues, uh, swelling in the legs, varicose veins, things like that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It is funny. So you seem, I, I seems to me, you see a lot more and more people with varicose veins and it's not just women and it's not just overweight women. It's men, it's skinny women. It's like, there's no stereotype necessarily. You start seeing them all over the place. And I have to think it has something to do with the flow based on the mis- the mechanical misalignment and those kind of problems from the pelvis, which of course the sacrum is a big key to that. Yeah. Yeah. I thinking of somebody now, I'm like, yeah, I just really want to help his left leg. And then we, we finally took, uh, it was so interesting because we finally took lumbar series x-rays. We call them so flexion extension and lateral bending both directions. And sure enough, you can see, oh my gosh, it's a right, it was a right S2. And here I've been adjusting, I think a right S3. Um, I'm trying to remember now, but it was, it was a very specific adjustment he needed. And I could see how it's going to untorque and help his left leg. And, oh, he's going to be so happy to help that left leg because he does not want to do uh, a surgery on that. But rotated, sac- where there's a torque in the sacrum, you watch, and they'll have varicosities in that, other, that body side. More than just an L5. The sacrum just feeds so much more of the leg. It seems to me like it, it activates the leg and, and more problems. Hmm. In a posterior yeah, segment, will it be helpful to to see it or to, fee, to see it? Another way to check it is laying somebody prone, and the short leg or shorter than it should be side will be the side of a posterior sacral segment or posterior sacral problem. Let's say. Hmm. Interesting. Um, with uh, with neurology of it. Do, do you see people getting st- like stuck in parasympathetic or stuck in sympathetic simply because of sacral issues? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And does the, does fixing it tend to bring them out of it or, or does it get more complicated where you have to like go through a, some kind of pattern to unlock the whole thing? Or do you find that usually if it's a sacral thing, once you fix it, they just kind of wake up and come right out of it? It all depends because if the sacrum has gone through and impacted all the way up to the brain, um, then it's harder. Then they need like more minerals to cope with the changes you're going to make. Um, they need like usually lighter adjustments, but if it's just bam, bam, affecting a lumbar, you can just go at it harder and, um, there's no, then, then it's, then it seems like they come out of it faster. It, Mm. It really depends how long it's been there and what the source of the sacral subluxation was. I am a firm believer, as I've learned more in practice, that it's not just a fall on the ice that causes subluxation. It really, really is thoughts, traumas, and toxins. And, um, hmm. yeah, I, I, I think we get so cookie cutter and 
telling our patients because it's an easy thing to talk about, but how many people want to talk about their thought patterns? Oh my, and not many, you know? Um, yeah. I'm actually working through a book on emotion code myself. I'm reading through it and learning a ton of stuff on just how emotions affect the body. And they really do. I'm like, I'm really amazed. And here I took that wholeheartedly when I heard that from in, in, in chiropractic school. But then in practice, I don't always implement it. And so I want to make sure as a chiropractor, not just today, but in the future of the world that we live in, that we are fully capable of bringing health to the patients through all aspects of healing. And that doesn't mean you have to be a spiritual coach, an emotional coach, all that. But what I mean by that is you need to hear the patient. You need to think of through, think outside the box. And uh, every patient really deserves our fullest. And so I'm seeing like, wow, if Dr. BJ said thoughts, traumas, and toxins, and I'm only thinking about toxins, or I'm only thinking about thoughts, um, you know, am I missing something? You know, just, just thinking through that, like, what about, how about what's the patient going through right now? You know, what's their life like? And my last patient this morning, her husband's been in and out of the hospital five times since October, man. That's tough, you know, and, and bleeding, <laughs> internal bleeding. That's hard on her. Mm-hmm. She's been married a long time and she loves him so much. And she just keeps wanting to get him to get him adjusted. But every time he comes home, he has to go back to the hospital. And so she needs, yeah. you know, she needed some time today. So we chatted a little bit and it just, you know, encouraged her and even prayed with her a little bit. And just, you know, that, that was, I don't, sounds crazy. I set L3 so good on her today. I loved it. But but I think she almost needed that as much, if not more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's that that's that's the thing is we get our high off of the adjustment we make. We do. But yeah. really what keeps them coming back is the connection. Yep. Yeah. When I can tell Dr. Fowler just in a little bit talking with you, you are a connector and I'm really glad you teach because I know you're bringing a lot to the students. Um, and just your community. Well, thank you. It's, it's a challenge, but um, it, it's so hard, but I realize I really want to bring the outside world into the classroom so that they understand what they're really going to see and not be surprised by Cause there were so many things in practice in the first couple of years that it was like, man, nobody told me that was going to happen. <laughs> and it would happen over and over. And I was like, nobody ever told me this was going to happen. So to have, to, you know, I thought, man, if somebody would have prepared me just a little bit, so I'm like, you know, if they could be a little more prepared for what's really going to happen in the real world, then I think your regrets are those patients that early on you didn't help. And then once you gain the ability, you think back and go, man, I wish I could help them. And I wish I could help them now. So try to avoid those, <laughs> those regrets down the road, I guess. Yeah, and then also believe that another good doc picked him up right where you left him off, you know? Yeah, yeah, hopefully so. Yeah, well, here's another question. What about the um, the coccyx? Do you have to do a lot of coccyx adjustments, or do you find that there's much issue with how the coccyx then relates to the S5? So I had – I don't do a lot of them, but I had two this week where they fell. We re-X-rayed, and um, – it's funny because I just really looked at one one of them today. Her ex her X rays her sacrum is better than it was. Before. I'm like, man, we've been working on that thing, so that's kind of cool. But the other one, I think I can. I it's hard to tell, but I think I can see three fractures, three hairlines. And so I had to adjust the right coccyx, then the left at one point, then the left at a second point, and finally we're getting there. So 
Um, they set the same way as a sacrum. They squeeze right in. You just have to lift them more and be a little quicker with your adjustment. There's not like a set and you can't set and hold those. Hmm. Well, I guess maybe we should get to that point. So when you are adjusting these sacral segments, are you mostly doing this side posture or high-low table or knee chest? Or how are you predominantly do, making these corrections? So slot table, 99% of the time. Um, it was a table I was introduced to by Dr. Kasselbauer years ago. And it uh, it's incredible. Like it's so easy to adjust the sacrums on. And I like it because several reasons. One, I can check their leg length. Their bodies are... Just I'll go through the reason. The bodies are relaxed. I rarely have a patient not comfortable on it. It had a you know even ninety year ninety year old on it this week. She was great. Um, I can hold pressure and make sure their legs are doing the right things. Like if I have an ex on one side that I'm making sure it's getting better, I can see that toe ends getting better or lessening. I'm able to feed in slowly. I'm able to check my line drive six times over if I want to. I, um, I do all this. I do all this while I'm doing pretty much every adjustment. I try to, at least I think through all the different things I'm like, okay, I want to make sure. Cause I found a, let's say I found a right sacrum, but there was a T six on the right. Also, I want to make sure, am I actually, I want to make sure I'm not making T six worse. You don't have to correct T six, but if you're making T six worse, you better make sure that major is not T six. And I've had several times I'm like, hold on repalpate i'm like oh the major's t6 set that it clears the sacrum okay but on this situation i want to make sure it's helping every subluxation i found and i also watch their gait before and after adjustments uh not every time on gate well i watch them over the table but sometimes i'm really watching them and then that helps me make sure i got the, the correct adjustment post adjustment then i post scope my patients so i have kind of a whole setup of everything that I do. And, um, the slot table does it for 98% of them. A couple times I put people on the, on the knee chest for sacrums. Um, but often, unless, well, if they're pregnant, obviously I do that, but, uh, or, you know, 18, 19 weeks plus pregnant, I, I do the knee chest usually, but yeah, they just adjust so well and there's the least amount of force and there's no twisting at all. And there's super solid stability. And then we have two slot tables. So I have one that's a narrow slot table. So people that are smaller or smaller boned go on that one. And mm -hmm. people that are, you know, average to larger would go on the adult one. Yeah, nice. So if somebody is listening to this and they're thinking to themselves, I need to start paying more attention to the sacrum. How, what would you suggest they start doing? just to start headed down this path and start trying to find these things that maybe they've been missing because they haven't been looking. Uh, good, great question. First things first, if you had to just regular cervical chair, make the, make, put the back on, on uh, a wood platform. So it makes it higher. So you have an angle down about 10 degrees or so. Um, just, you know, play with that angle, but you want the patient to be sitting on the back end. And needs to be higher. And then the next thing is to start to palpate the sacrum um, seated, palpate it prone, start watching people, you know, walk, you know, those type of things. And I palpation at first, don't get into motion right away. Just statically palpate that, that sacrum. And 
the easiest way to statically palpate it is with them at the back of the seat or laying down. And I would encourage people to do both because it, it makes sure it matches. Um, and you, you, you figure out what's you learn best with. But if you're a motion palpator, even if you are really good at motion, I would still encourage you to statically palpate the sacrum first because it gives you a better understanding of what you're for the what you're feeling. The edema is just a little different. And then as soon as you have that, start to motion it. And the best way to do it is motion P to A on each level. And then go to the right side, motion P to A, go to the left side, motion P to A. And once you find what where you think the problem is at, um, you can get more specific. And that's where I could teach more. But you can also do lateral bending and you can do some other things to make sure you got the right line of drive. But the, if you just start with just static palpation, scoping, and then when you're ready, motion it. Um, it'll guide your hand to that subluxation. And if you're not finding a scope reading, don't you don't need you know to go further. But scope, scope, scope. I was at Life a few years ago teaching. There was like 75, I think, at the class. And I thought, well, I'll, maybe I'll find one of you that doesn't have a sacral problem. Guess what? Everybody had one. Doesn't mean I would have adjusted all those. Uh, I probably, no. on average, maybe, I don't know. It's changed. It's gone down, actually, because I'm as I learn more things, um, I've been finding lumbar adjustments that are helping the sacrum more than I ever. So I, I probably am like maybe 25% of my patients get a sacral adjustment. But, um, yeah, just they all, it doesn't mean you don't have a problem. So find palpate it if you find a scope reading and, uh, see if you can find it on all 75 or whatever students of these, they didn't all have scope readings there. I was just able to find a sacral segment that didn't match and that was swollen right. and it should at least be attended to in the future. Yeah. So if people want to learn more about this from you, do you teach with GMI seminars or do you do your own thing? I do. How can yeah, they so learn yeah, good question. So two things. So um, I'm going to be teaching in April uh, seminars. It's going to be focused on foundation principle, including gait analysis. And then um, I started an co online course called myfoundationcourse.com. And to be honest, Dr. Fowler, I put in so many videos and training. I'm just tired, you know, running an office, <laughs> seeing patients and all that. And I just see the Lord's like, take a break of that. So that is available. We made it super easy. It's um, my kids are coming home from school, so you might hear some kids in the background, but uh, it's, it's, we made it easy. It's a one-time membership fee for students of a hundred and doctors of 150. And you get access to all these videos and training that I put on there. Um, and it's I mean, it's great. I think, I don't know, I have well over a hundred videos. And I even walk through what I found in the x-rays and I walk a step-by-step -step of why I found it on the x-rays. So you have videos of me checking and adjusting. It's not just sacrum, but it's focused a little bit more on foundation stuff. So a lot of pelvis L5 sacrum uh, extremities uh, affecting the sacrum. So it's called myfoundationcourse.com. It's, it's, it's kind of me trying to get the word out there is what I'm trying to do the best I can. And like you, you know, how to help, how to help the community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate it. It's a great conversation. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a key bone. Um, yeah. Often oversimplified, overlooked. So, yeah. Great to talk yeah, about. And I, you know, and you, as much of a learner, I know is some, one of the things I appreciate about you, I was reading on the GCSS newsletter is 
you love podcasts so much <laughs> and um, check it out and give me your input because I would like, you know, check out my just to see like, what do you think? What are you, I, I want to learn from you and ultimately we can learn from each other on what, what what's helped. Just like you talked about your S2 patient and uh, what a beauty to have her not wetting the bed. Yeah, and I, I think especially right now, it seems like there's a lot of people I know in the Gonsta community. There's a number who have done some things like YouTube videos and stuff, but I know other people who are starting different podcasts and not Gonsta like this, but um, but are doing some other things. And so um, I think it's uh, it's it's great to be getting the Gonsta word out there for people so that they are aware that we what we are and what we do. So um, so thanks again. I, I appreciate you coming. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Labounty for joining me. I hope you took as many notes as I did. This conversation truly changed the way I think about the sacrum, including some issues I've been having with my own sacrum. I hope this conversation will be a benefit to you, starting with your very next patient. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out Dr. Labounty's course at myfoundationcourse.com. That's myfoundationcourse.com. I already took a look, and it looks fantastic. Additionally, I want to give a shout-out to the students from Logan who made their way to Davenport this weekend in the snow. It was a pleasure to meet so many of you, and I appreciate all of your kind words. I look forward to seeing you all again really soon. Well, that's it for this week, but hopefully we give you something to think about and to work on this week as you continue to develop your skills and to help more people. As always, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next time.